Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. All right, good morning. Glad to have you guys here this morning. Um, Before I introduce myself, I was telling David all throughout the morning that there seems to be a theme for this morning. Just want you in on it. Um, As I was listening to the worship team practice before the first service, which was really, really early this morning, it seemed, with the time change, um, uh, I'm a lyrics guy. I don't sing well. I'm musically inept. Um, So I'm a lyrics guy. I love lyrics to songs, and it seemed like all the lyrics this morning, maybe you recognized it had a theme, and that theme was life, that we find life through Jesus Christ. And it seems like all weekend long as I've been preparing for this sermon, that's what's come up over and over again is this word life. And then I went to my uh, Dunkin' Run this morning to get my coffee, and I got a napkin, and it says, life happens. Dunkin' helps. And, and so, you know, if, if, if Jesus doesn't come through for you, Dunkin' can be your backup plan. I don't know. That's pretty sacrilegious, so maybe I shouldn't say that. But um, anyhow, life, and you're going to hear it throughout the sermon this morning as well. So, well, let me introduce myself. If you don't know who I am and I don't know who you are, my name is Chris Carpenter. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Vineyard. So anything discipleship, anything that deals with our hospitality team, anything uh, that deals with our college ministry, and especially with our men's ministry here, I get to wear a lot of hats, and I love doing that, but every once in a while, I get to do this as well, which is really, really cool, and so I'm quite thankful um, each and every day for uh, where God has me and what he has me doing with this uh, church. By the way, I did the math. We have approximately 350 adult males in this church. I want you to know, guys, it is my goal to... Not only meet you, but know you, every single one of you. Don't let that freak you out. I'm a cool guy. At least my wife tells me I am. And, you know, it's just an opportunity to get to know one another, to get involved in the church. And so it's my goal to know every single one of you guys. And so if you don't know who I am, come introduce yourself to me. I'll try to get to you, but it's easier if you sometimes can get to me. And I know Natasha feels the same way about the ladies here. She's just absolutely wonderful. And so ladies, if you've never met Natasha, you need to. She's our community and care pastor. So if you have any questions about any of the ministries that I talked about just now, please don't hesitate to come up, ask me about those this morning. I'd love to chat more about them. Well, it's spring break. Congratulations, you're here. You could be on a white sand beach somewhere, but you chose to be here. You deserve a hand. Yes. And like a lunch to Chili's, you, you need to go to lunch to Chili's today. That's, that's how good you are, all are. And you're also very wise, all right? This group, I'm just talking the 1130 service. You all are very wise because we lost an hour's sleep, right? 
And it's like, there were people here at 8.30. Why would you come? I mean, you got an, you got an 11.30 service. So you, this is the wisdom crowd. I'm, I'm labeling you a little bit. But you guys are the wisdom crowd. Thank you for being here this morning. It's okay to be on a white sand beach, by the way. Or if you're like my family, they're up in the snow up in Michigan going snow skiing because my family does things backwards. Um, But we always love it. We absolutely love it when you guys come to worship with us on um, Sunday mornings. We're going to be continuing in our Galatians series this morning, uh, finishing up with chapter one. Only took us four weeks. Um, And then we'll continue into chapter two starting next Sunday. Um, This morning, we're going to see through the scriptures in Galatians, Paul give us a little bit of a recap on a certain part of his life. And it's, it's a part of his life that we especially like to refer to as Paul's conversion. Now hang on to that word for a second because we're going to get back to that term here in a moment. But first I want to just address the issue at hand here. What is going on? What is the big reason as to why Paul felt the need to write this letter to the churches in Galatia. Now, as Aaron stated last week, there had been some Judaizers that in some way, shape, or form had basically infiltrated the church and had spoken a false message to the church in Galatia about Paul and about the gospel that he spoke to them. And they were accusing Paul of being like a people pleaser and of being a coward, that he was compromising the true gospel in some way. For example, Paul's message was that, uh, for example, the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. And the Judaizers took that as a way of saying that Paul is watering down the gospel, right, for the sake of pleasing a Gentile lifestyle. And there would be other examples that they would use as well. And so Paul felt the need to write this letter to defend himself and the gospel that he preached and taught to the church. And he begins this defense here in the middle part of chapter 1 by saying that the gospel that he preaches, it is not man's gospel. All right, He says this in verses 11 through 12 of chapter 1. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's reasoning is that it was the risen Jesus who met him on the Damascus Road. We're going to read that scripture here in a moment. It was Jesus who is God who spoke the truth of this gospel directly to him. It was Jesus revealing himself to Saul, who is Paul, I'm going to use those names interchangeably this morning, as the Lord, Jesus introduces himself as the Lord and as the one whom Saul was persecuting, all right? It wasn't any man. It wasn't any man at all. It was God himself. You know the scripture of the story in Acts chapter 9. You've probably read it before, but this is describing Saul. It says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. So here's a little bit of backstory here. Saul is on this Damascus road because he's on his way to the synagogues in, the, in Damascus to arrest and possibly even kill those who belong to this group that they were calling the way. All right. Now we know the way as those who are Christians, those whose faith are now in Jesus as the risen Messiah. Saul was trying to squash this movement. And to help do so, he had gone and obtained letters of arrest from the high priest in Jerusalem to go to Damascus, go into the synagogues and arrest the Christians there. So he's on his way to make that happen. Now, a big question, why would Saul want to do such a thing? And Galatians 1, 13 through 14 gives us a sense as to why. It says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Now from these verses, we're going to see two particular things about Saul. All right, The first is that we can see that he was a Pharisee. He knew the law of Moses. We see this because he tells us that he was advancing in Judaism beyond many his own age. So he knew greatly the law of Moses and he stood firm in its teachings. Right? So he was a Pharisee, but he was also what we refer to as a zealot. He says that he was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father's. And like some zealots over time, with Saul, it got to the point that he was using violence, that he was violently persecuting Christians. It was Saul's purpose to purge the Jewish nation of any movement that was outside of the early Jewish traditions. This is what we saw the Pharisees doing in the days of Jesus. That they led such an uproar and they led the charge to kill Jesus. And now Saul is such a person himself. He self-describes himself as zealous. Now, who or what particularly is a zealot? They were rebels that rose up to combat against any pagan traditions. What I mean by that is any traditions that were outside of the Jewish customs that tried to then infiltrate those Jewish traditions. And like I said, some zealots would go to the extreme of even using violence to do such things. One of the best-known zealots in the Old Testament is a man named Phineas. Now, if you're not an Old Testament person, if you're like one of those that says, man, I got the numbers and I just can't read, nothing good comes out of numbers, you're wrong. Phineas is in numbers. Numbers chapter 25, it's not the greatest story in the world, but it's pretty awesome. Um, Numbers chapter 25, verses 6 through 8, talks about Phinehas, and it says, And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Medianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. That was a big no-no in the law of Moses, all right? You are not to have an affair with any foreign women, let alone bring that woman into the tent near the tabernacle. Big no-no. 
When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus, the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Story goes to show, whatever means necessary, wipe out any paganness that infiltrates the camp. So take that type of zealous action thinking and fast forward to Saul, whose thinking is the same way. Purify the Jewish nation. Anything outside of the original Jewish traditions needed to be purged, even if violence was necessary. So this whole Jesus guy and this movement that's come with his death and this so-called resurrection of his, in, in Saul's mind, absurd. Absolutely absurd. And the people preaching that need to be dealt with. This whole nonsense that he's the Messiah that has come, no. That needs to be dealt with and that needs to be thwarted. And so this is where we come to the point of what we call Saul's conversion. And I use the air quotes for a reason here because conversion really isn't the right term to use here. Now, when we think of conversion, we think of someone coming out of, say, uh, for example, an, an atheism lifestyle to be converted to Christianity. Or maybe they go from one faith and convert to Christianity. For myself, when I became a Christian, I feel I believed there was a God. I definitely didn't know Jesus was that God. I definitely had no clue about the Holy Spirit, and I had no clue about the life and purpose that comes with a life in Jesus Christ. And my Damascus Road was Clinton Highway driving from my dad's pastor's house back to the University of Tennessee. I was a junior in college at the time. And this is where Jesus' invitation of giving my life to him took place and my acceptance of that life took place. I'm really quite thankful after reading this story again that there was no blinding light or blindness that came over me like Saul here. That would have been a really kind of bad thing. But when it comes to Saul or Paul, we can't really think this way of conversion. Because Paul, he's really not switching from one religion to another or one belief system to another because the nation of Israel had been waiting and wanting the Messiah to come and rescue them. And this was taught over generations after generations of Israelites. So this isn't Paul you got to think about this. This isn't Paul going from Judaism to Christianity in a way like he was accepting a new religion. In fact, Judaism and Christianity weren't really viewed as religions in that day. See, Saul had been hoping all his life that the Messiah would come, and he believed the Messiah would come, just like every other Israelite, like many Israelites that thought about Jesus, Jesus wasn't him. It wasn't supposed to look this way. The Messiah was supposed to come and rescue them from the Romans and all that, all that stuff. But now, Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah that Paul has been waiting for. And so now Jesus is calling Paul to a new way, to a new life, and to a new purpose 
in life. If we look at verse 15, it says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. I want us to notice Paul's reasoning here at the beginning of this section saying that his calling is not from man, it's, his calling is from God. And it has nothing to do with any accomplishments that he had in his life. It had nothing to do with uh, his importance on earth. But it was simply that God set him apart. It was God who called him by grace. It was God who was pleased to reveal Jesus to him. It was God calling him to go and to preach to the Gentiles. This, if you're sitting here this morning and you're a believer in Christ, it was God that called you. Now, there might have been people speaking into your lives here and there and leading you in a way, but the call was from God. We see this with other servants of God throughout Scripture. I'll just give you a couple of instances. Jeremiah 1.5 speaks about the prophet Jeremiah says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That's God's call and God's work in Jeremiah's life. There's a servant in the scriptures in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 49, and in this description of the servant, it says, I will give as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So once again, Paul's defense here is that his calling is not from man. You know, he was not taught the gospel by man. It was given to him by God. And then Paul goes on to add some more disclaimers to show that this isn't man's doing, that it was God's doing. So after the Damascus Road thing, he didn't immediately consult with anyone. It's not like he went to Jerusalem and met with the Jerusalem council in the, in the moment, Right? He didn't meet with any original apostles. No, he went to Arabia. Now, why would he go to Arabia? Because in Arabia, that's where Mount Sinai was. Where God had originally met with the nation of Israel and made his covenant with them. Remember the whole mountain scene with Moses and the people? God makes his covenant with Israel there? What better place for Paul to meet with God? So it's probable that this is maybe what happens. He goes to Arabia, meets with God. He then returns to Damascus, not to purge Christians, but to preach Jesus. I want us to think for a moment about the power of the Holy Spirit and what he has done in Paul's life there. From going from arresting Christians and even killing Christians to now preaching Christ calling himself a Christian, walking with other brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, he says it isn't until three, three years later that Paul goes to Jerusalem. And even then, for just 15 days, to meet up with Peter. And the meet up with Peter was more like a social gathering kind of thing. It was like a get-to-know-you session. He knew about Peter. Peter knew a little bit about him. But it was just like, hey, let's get together and have a cup of coffee. You know, and learn about one another and, and 
learn about what God has done in our lives and this call that we have our, on our lives together. Like I was saying before, I love getting together with men in the church. Grab a cup of coffee, grab a lunch, whatever it might be. Sit down, and, and especially if you don't know one each, other, each other very well, it's asking questions. It's learning about one another's life. Peter isn't sitting down here and teaching him anything. And outside of Peter, outside of a quick hello, really, to James, the brother of Jesus, there were no other apostles even around in Jerusalem at the time. They were probably out on some missionary journey. And so what, what Paul's saying is, you know, I didn't, I didn't take any seminary classes here. You know, there were no heavy lectures that were given to me. There's no, this is the way you need to teach this kind of thing. There's no podcasting going on, all right? Paul received the gospel and his call to preach this gospel to the Gentiles from God. And that's what he's defending here. The scripture continues then that Paul goes to the regions of Syria, Cilicia on mission. And there were churches of Judea there. And they had one thing to say. They were blown away when they heard Paul's preaching and teaching. The one thing they had to say is, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. They heard him speaking, and they realized, he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the true gospel. And so the reaction to Paul's new life and purpose, verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. And before we see that as some self-glorifying statement by Paul, Paul's obviously saying they glorified God because of the change they saw that had happened in Paul's life and the, real, the realism that God had made that happen. That Paul had now become an example of the grace and the mercy and the power that comes with a changed life in Jesus Christ. This is the Paul this is the gospel that Paul brought to the church in Galatia. It's not watered down. It isn't people-pleasing. It's simple truth. And that truth then brings glory to God. And that's Paul's defense. See, the gospel is the message that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he was crucified, resurrected, his death, his, his death and resurrection have conquered sin and his death and resurrection have brought us into this age to come where we as believers in Christ have been given a new life with a new purpose. We like to say it around here. You can say it with me. It's like a broken record around here, but it's a good broken record. To join God in the renewal of all things. See? This is why we say it to you again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Because now you know it. To join God in the renewal of all things, that is not any kind of watered-down, people-pleasing message. But it's an invitation to new life with new purpose. I have a couple of take-homes for us this morning in relation to the end of chapter 1. The first is this, is that we have a message and a story to give, all right? We all have a message to give. 
First and foremost, that message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When it comes to our story, our Damascus Road might look a little bit different. Perhaps we didn't see a great light. Perhaps we didn't hear some voice. Perhaps we didn't go blind over here on William Blunt Drive. I don't know. But I've spoken with a couple of you who are quick to say to me when it, when it comes to uh, hearing your story and speaking your testimony in a way, you're, some of you have been quick to tell me, you know, Chris, you know, my story is boring. It's not really that exciting, worth mentioning to people. I went to church growing up. I met Jesus. I was saved. And here I am. It's really not a story to tell people. And I'm like, I'm sorry, who did you say you met? Who did, who did you say came into your life again? Who did you say saved you and called you out of darkness into his light? Jesus? Well, right there, with just his name, your story became exciting. And your story became important to tell. Now listen to me, as, my, as our brother AJ likes to say, lean in on this one a little bit, all right? Your boring story is exactly what someone needs to hear. It's exactly what someone needs to hear. And you don't need to fancy it up. You don't need to spread relish on top of it. Make it sound amazing. You don't need the strobe lights. Don't need the confetti blowing in the wind to make it great. You don't have to have some huge following like your Rocky running up the Philadelphia steps with thousands of kids around him chanting his name. Right? You don't need all that. Your message stands great on its own because the name Jesus is in it. And because Jesus did it. When you tell that story, it doesn't bring glory to you. It's not meant to. See, here's the concern I have. This is completely Chris Carpenter opinion. It's worth less than two cents, but I'm telling it anyway. There are too many testimonies about God out there that have turned into testimonies not so much about God. But now they've kind of turned inward. And they're more about the person God's changed than about God. Here's what I mean by that. Glory's been given wrongly. Instead of glory going to God to whom all praise is due for the salvation and changed life that he brings through relationship with him, maybe we've made, just saying maybe, maybe we've made our testimony into a story that is more about us than it is about him. Look at me. Instead of look at him. I just say that because the last time I checked, our stories are about what God has done. This gospel of his is a privilege, a privilege to live by and to get to share to others. Because this, this message is about his victory on the cross. His victory through his resurrection over death. His Spirit entering our hearts and our lives. His way becoming our way to live. 
It's about Jesus changing us. And if that's our message, then glory will be given to him. And so all of us have a great message and a great story to share. And we're to share that message with zeal. Now, I referred to men like Phineas earlier and Saul, who in their zeal for the nation of Israel and the law of Moses would go to violent extremes to strike people down. We are not called to such a zeal. We are not called to such a zeal. Did you get that? We're not called to such a zeal. All right? But we are called to to be zealous. So how do we... How do we deal with that? Romans 12, 11 tells us this. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. What does that mean? What does that look like? We are to be enthusiastic in our pursuit of the gospel. And we are to be passionate about God's word and that word being spoken. And we are to long for the gospel to be the way in which this world would choose to live. All those things. But the way this zeal is lived out is not through any type of violence. It's not through any type of uproar, any type of division. But instead, with Jesus as our example... Zeal is seen through sacrifice and through serving others. We're going to talk about this more next week. But I mentioned earlier that for, my Lent, or for Lent, my reading has been going through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. And especially with the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. And I've been praying all week long in preparation for this, this whole word with zeal that... Uh, My hope and prayer is for a zeal that would lead me to be as Jesus describes in those Beatitudes. So a zeal to be poor in spirit. A zeal to be a mourner who longs for God's comfort. A zeal to be one who is meek and who is gentle. And one who hungers and thirsts for God's righteousness. One who is merciful, pure in heart. One who is a peacemaker. And then if somehow I'm dealing with persecution, then I'm being persecuted for the sake of God's righteousness. That's the zeal I want to have. And it's a zeal to love others in this way. To serve others in this way. And that was set forth as an example by our Savior, Jesus. And this is the zeal that we see in a changed life, like our boy Paul here. That's the kind of zeal he brought on. And when we live with that message and that story and that life and with that zeal, glory goes to him. All glory goes to him. Amen.